0: to have guests introduce themselves can you share a bit about yourself
1: so my name is sarah and i'm a designer and developer my pronouns are they them and i got into the design and tech industry in 2014 after graduating college and in college i studied also a combination of design and development because i always wanted to be a software developer but i also hated that so much software had such ugly interfaces or was hard to use or was not really made with a user, human-centered point of view. And I didn't want to be the software developer that made products that were hard to use for people. So when I had to make a decision what I would study in college in 2010, 2011, I decided I wanted to find something where I could combine both my interests for design and my interest for uh, user experience and interest for human-centered things combined with my interest for software development. And then after that, I decided to move to Norway after I graduated because I wanted to have a bigger challenge, and I didn't really like the design industry in Belgium because I noticed that most of the people who graduated from my college ended up in very marketing-centered agencies, and I actually wanted to contribute to something more and make... Products that would really make a difference. And I found several agencies and startups like that in Norway. And first I started working in a design agency as the combination of a designer and developer. So full stack development and UX design and visual design. And I learned a lot there, but I also wanted to do something more. And then I discovered that I had a big interest in ethics and in AI and big data. So I actually then started working at a startup that makes machine learning software for personalized immunotherapy, so for cancer medicine. And there I was responsible to create interfaces that were very very data centric, but that also visualized this data in a very human way and where I could also work with risk management and the more human and ethical questions around it of how do we make the software that if something goes wrong, a person can be killed. So how do we make an interface that prevents people from being killed? And that's the kind of challenges that I really like to work with. Right now I'm doing something similar, but at a company called Inspera, and we make e-assessment software. So if you take exams in university or in college, you will use, often use our software. And the part I'm working with is how can we give better feedback to students? How can we give better feedback to, st- to teachers? How can we make sure that the questions are of high quality, that everything happens in a fair way and and things like that. So I try to have a very big focus on ethics, on diversity, on accessibility, and on the user and human experience of things while combining that with the technology side of things and the data and the front end and back ends. In my personal life, I'm also doing some similar things. I recently started to write about technology, accessibility, and design. And I'm also trying to uh, create some projects that have a bigger focus on queer issues and on minoritized groups and on lifting up underrepresented communities. And one of the examples of that is that I recently had a luck of starting to work with Oslo Pride. Uh, We in Pride in Oslo have an entire week of Pride Festival rather than just one day of parades. And it also means that we need a website where artists can register to display their arts or people can register to give talks and where there's a full program of an entire week that has to be worked with. And I'm now part of the team there that's helping to visualize that. And I'm really excited about actually contributing something to the queer community that way as well.
0: Sarah, that was such a good introduction. I definitely want to come back to the ethics and lifting up queer and underrepresented (laughs) communities. But before that, I'm curious how you feel about in the tech industry and, and the design industry a little bit at large talking about people that do development and design as like a unicorn. How do you feel about that? Do you identify that way, and what do you th- what do you think about like other people that are designers learning to code or coders learning to design, and this sort of new um, job function that's sort of created from that?
1: I think it's a really great question because I really hate the term unicorn. Because I feel like it's the same way that when people talk about unicorns or rockstar developers or ninjas and all that, it creates such a high pressure environment and gives people the feeling that they have to be so much more than what they actually are. And I think it's great when you know how, if, when you're a designer that knows how to code, that's really useful because you will make designs that you know will be able to be implemented. If you're a developer who knows how to design, that's also great because you will make sure that even if there's no designer on your team, that things will look good. If you have a designer on your team, you will be able to translate their designs better into codes. But I don't think every designer needs to know how to code or that every developer needs to know how to design. I think knowing the fundamentals and having some basic interest or knowledge of what are the limitations of technology or how to make accessible designs or what are accessible colors are good things to know. But I don't like the idea that every designer has to develop. I think it's a great advantage if you can, but I don't like the pressure that there sometimes is in the industry that everyone has to be able to do both. I think that creates a bit of an unhealthy environment.
0: I really agree with you. And I wonder if you look at coding as a design tool or design as a product creation tool or how you sort of see the two functions and disciplines?
1: I definitely think that development can be a design tool. Like often when I have to design an interface, I'll just create an outline in Sketch or Figma or on paper and maybe just find the color schemes in the proper design programs and then immediately move to code and design my entire interface in HTML and CSS. Because for me, knowing both, that makes it so much easier. And I can see, is what I'm designing, does it actually work on every screen size? How should it scale down? It's, for me, it's a big advantage being able to do that directly into code. And at the same time, I think that, especially UX principles uh, and human-centered design is a good thing to keep in mind when developing any tool, even if you're just making an API or a command line interface or a database, it's good to know and have some idea of how can this information be used? How can this information be misused? How will users interact with this in the end? Because I do think when you have that knowledge, you will create better development systems as well.
0: I wish everyone sort of had that filter when they were building products, designers, developers, or otherwise, of of how their, their things can be misused. I think that's a really important thing for people to be reflecting on in 2020.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's very important for me as well. And people often write user stories, especially in the tech industry. It's often how we get our briefs in the form of user stories. But I also like to look at, I'm not really sure what to call it. I call it the anti-user story. In user stories, you look at how do you want people to use your products? What will the user do in this view? Also thinking about what do I not want the user to do? What could the user do that they shouldn't be doing? What implications does it have if they misuse this interface? And I think it's so important that people think about that, because especially these days when we have so much data available on people, when we use so much data to automate stuff, for example, facial recognition for things or algorithms that decide whether or not you get a job, it's very important to think, how can this be misused, not even intentionally misused but if someone doesn't understand this or if something goes wrong in the back ends what implications will this have on the user but also on society as a broader perspective because often it's not just one user that you hurt often it's an entire group of people that get affected by products and that's very important to keep in mind
0: that's such a great answer and i think we're going to come back to that in a second you did segue into a little bit already answering this question, but maybe could you share a bit more about what your process is like or what a typical workday looks like for you?
1: It depends a lot on the project because I'm doing a lot of varied stuff. In my current job, I work in the research and development departments with a lot of data scientists. And my job now is a combination of front-end development and UX. So often when I get a brief for something, I will sit together with the data scientists to really understand which data we need in the front end or in our designs and what the data actually means. And talk to users or, in our case now, talk to teachers or other people within the academics field and understand what does this data do? How is the user going to use it? What implications does it have on the student's? and and those sort of questions to really understand what's going on. And then I usually just move over to Figma, make some sketches, try to implement something in the front end, move back and forth between the two. These days I'm also doing a bit more product management. So it's also more chasing people around for meetings and trying to understand processes and trying to map out an entire flow of, from the start that you open the application until you got to your end results. What steps does the user take? What can go wrong in each step? And really a big part of my work is collaborating with other people and trying to understand what they need, why they need it, how things work, and then trying to make sense of that and present that in a visual way. Not just present it in a visual way to the end user on the screen, but also present it in a way internally so it's understandable for everyone. Because something I've noticed a lot working in the industry, especially with people who are really experts in their fields. In my previous job with um, immunologists and bioinformaticians and now with academics is that people have their own language and have their own ideas of how things work. But then the developers and the designers and the product managers and everyone else around it doesn't necessarily have the same language or same understanding as the people who are the experts in their fields. So a big part of my job is also trying to understand what those experts want trying to understand the science behind everything we're building and then communicating that to the rest and being a bit of a translator between all the different disciplines
0: how do you feel like you've learned that skill of of trying to communicate with people of such different backgrounds which is i think you said bioengineers and immunologists is that right how, how do you learn how do you pick up some of that language and and learn how to work with them
1: I think in a way I've been quite lucky because I've always had an easy time learning new things and I've also always been quite curious. So I understand that I have quite a bit of privilege there that it comes quite easy for me to start learning new things. But I think a good step as well, even if you don't have that is to just sit with people and drill down, ask a lot. But why do you want this? But why does it work that way? But why do you want to work it that way? For example, with the they would often say, we need this number visualized. And then I would ask why. And they'd explain what the number means. And I'd say, but why does it mean that? What will happen? What does it indicate? And I think I've always had a big curiosity and a big desire to learn new things. And over time, also, with, with more experience and more practice, you learn to ask the right questions and learn to really listen to people and try to make them formulate things in an accessible and easy way. Because often when I go into meetings, I also try to be the person, even if I understand what people are talking about, I try to pretend that I don't understand anything and make them break it down to me in language that anyone would be able to understand. And I think that's an important thing to do because so many people, I see it online in articles and stuff as well, that people easily get caught up in their own language and in their own processes and their own systems and if you're so used to talking about the same thing with other people who are on your skill level you'll easily start using difficult words or start talking about things in a way that you assume that others know what you mean and I always try to assume that I don't know anything that no one knows anything and then just try to make people break it down to me and If they have to explain it to me with emojis or with drawings or with cartoons, then that's how they do it. But it's always been important for me to understand things on the simplest level possible and then build it back up from there.
0: I think that's really good advice. What other advice do you have for people that are just starting out, either as designer developers like yourself or maybe even advice that you have for someone that is starting into a field like that's as uh, life-saving and helping as, as what you do?
1: One of the main things I'd say is just don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to know nothing. It's an advantage often to not know much when you get into a new field. For example, when I started into my previous company with the bioinformaticians and immunologists, I didn't know anything about cancer research I knew what cancer was, I knew chemotherapy uh, chemotherapy existed, but I didn't know anything else. I had heard the word immune therapy before. I had no idea what it was. And I think that was an advantage for me and the team as well, to be someone who doesn't know anything and who just walks around asking questions all the time. And that's not for something very specialized, but even in general, when you end up in a new job, just ask questions. Don't be afraid to not know anything. And don't be afraid to show that you don't know anything or that you don't know everything. Just ask a lot of questions and try to build things up like that, because it is an advantage. But it's also important that other people see it that way as well, because the industry sometimes is set up that if you ask questions and if it looks like you don't know something, it might sometimes also be a disadvantage. But that's also the responsibility of the more senior people and the leads and the managers to really value that there will be new people and there will be juniors and they will not know everything at once. We all started somewhere. So I think that's a responsibility that's a bit on everyone creating a culture where asking questions and not knowing things is okay because in the end, we're all learning constantly, no matter how experienced you are, there will always be things that you don't know and it has to be a bit more normalized for that to work as well. And at the same time, something that I think was very valuable for me was that I also tried to learn and read up on things that were outside of the design and technology fields. It would be so easy to just read books or blogs or experiment with just visual design or with just UX or just front-end development. But I read a lot of books about lots of things in life about the thing that was life changing for me in a way was reading Weapons of Math Destruction. It's a book about AI and ethics and about how algorithms can really hurt people and how even when it's done with the best intentions, it can go completely wrong. And reading that book in, I think it was in 2016, 2017, made me realize this is something I want to work with, the ethics part of things. Before that, I was also very active in the mental health activism community. And that also gave me a broader perspective of how can we not just design software, but design systems, design services, design a world where everyone is included, where people feel safe, where people feel they can be themselves. Also, being queer and being very focused on queer issues And reading a lot about that and following queer activists on Twitter and in the local scene in Oslo gave me a lot of knowledge in that field. And at the same time, following uh, people of color who are uh, very much activists when it comes to fighting white supremacy. That's also a really good experience. And I think as a designer and developer, you're never just designing something. You're never just putting colors on the screen. You're never just coding a button with interactions, you're always making something for people. So I think it's very important to broaden your perspective and learn about the people and learn about different fields, even if it has absolutely nothing to do with design, because it will give you such a good background. And also it will give you some more ideas of how you can specialize yourself in something because I'm a designer and developer, and that's a great combination, but there's other combinations as well. And I think knowing a lot about different fields can be very useful, but there's so many things to choose from. So I think as a new person in the industry, just trying to learn new things, trying to expand your knowledge, trying to find something you're very passionate about, and then try to understand how you can bring that back into your work. That's something very valuable. And that helped me a lot into finding the jobs I wanted to work with.
0: Uh, I think you put an impressive amount of advice in just a couple minutes. There's so many good gems in there. I think to build on some of what you've been saying this whole time, of like, there's a lot of uh, benefits to our in- industry and a lot of good things but on the flip side there's a lot of bad things there's racism and sexism and queer phobia and ableism and white supremacy and lots of other bigotries that we've both talked about and not yet talked about what what are your thoughts on it how, how do we just like get by what are your tips for other people both um in the oppressed groups or the oppressor groups
1: I think an important thing for everyone, especially for people who hold a lot of privileges to learn and to understand others and to try to take the initiative to set your own biases aside. And a good example of that is I was hanging out with a friend the other day and she told me that at their work, they were um, in the process of interviewing for new developers. And one of them was a trans guy. And her immediate reflection was, I have never worked together with trans people before. I am going to find books about trans people and find articles written by trans people to learn how to talk to them, to learn how to not be unintentionally transphobic because she said people already face so much discrimination and pain in their daily lives. I don't want to be the person who adds to that. I want to create a great environment at work. And that warmed my heart so much because I wish everyone will held some kind of privilege would react that way towards other people. Take the initiative to learn. Take the initiative to learn how to use the right language. Take the initiative to read books to know how people you're not familiar with usually get discriminated against, how your products will probably hurt people that you might not think about because it's so easy to get into your own bubble. Also, we as queer people, it's so easy to just focus on the queer issues and forget that there's a whole lot of other issues in the industry. As you said, there's racism, white supremacy, there's ableism, there's sexism, there's so much more than just what you're used to, even if you already are discriminated against in some way. So I think it's it's very important to be aware of everything that's going on and taking the initiative to learn and to listen to people who are educating you. Also, on, for example, on Twitter, I think social media can be a great tool in that by following people who are different than you. There's already so many cis, white, male voices out there. If you go to school, if you go to university, if you end up in a tech company, the chances that the majority are already going to be white, cis, male, and straight. So why not, when you have the chance on social media, why not follow other people who are not white, cis, straight, and male? Because you are going to get those people's lots of privilege. You are going to get their perspectives regardless. So, I think it's also important to kind of try to break that a bit and try to get the perspectives that you would usually at work not get because that's so valuable. And at the same time, if you are in a hiring, if you're a hiring manager or you're a senior or a lead or someone who has a say in who to hire, I think it's also important to make sure that you fight the biases there and that you try to find a more diverse group of people because two reasons. One thing is that more diverse teams will create more diverse products, but also that when you have a diverse team, which is to me the most important, that you will be more welcoming to other diverse people and you will show and set an example that yes, you can be that person. I, growing up and, and going to design school, I never had any queer voices at all. I had never any queer examples. I only recently realized that I was non-binary and could put the words on that because I had never even heard of the term until not that long ago. And then on top of that, if it hadn't been for social media, I would have had no idea that there were fellow queer people and fellow non-binary people out there, let alone being non-binary and being successful in the industry. I had no idea that that was an issue, that that was something that was possible. So I think it's very important if you have the privilege or the opportunity to set an example and to lift up those voices and to show people who are just starting out or young people who haven't made the decision what to do with their life set, that you can show this is an industry where you can work and where you can succeed and we're going to try and help you succeed because we don't really get that perspective that much.
0: I love that advice and I'm also really loved that you had that experience and were able to learn more about yourself and be able to both talk about it and uh, d- define it and feel like there are other people that you can both participate in conversations with but also be inspired by
1: yeah it's it's a great experience
0: well speaking of uh, who is one person that the listeners should know about
1: one person I think yeah, that's definitely important to follow is Tatiana Mack. It's someone I have learned a lot from. She's a designer and developer, and she has some really good talks about privilege and ethics and fighting white supremacy. And I feel every time she tweets something, I learn something new, and that's very important. And she also has this um, self-defined app and um, depths of color projects. The first one self-defined is where it's, it's kind of a dictionary where words are explained. And for example, something I learned from there was that it's better to use minoritized groups instead of minorities, because it takes the responsibility away and it shows that other people minoritized you. And the Depths of Color project is a directory with developers of color. And I think both projects are also so important. And I really like the work that she's doing. And besides her, there's uh, someone else called uh, Mia D on Twitter, Maya Dance. Uh, she writes a lot about ethics in AI and she also has monthly chats about ethics in AI and books about ethics. And I've gotten some really great book recommendations through her as well. So I think that's a really valuable resource if you're interested in those topics as well.
0: I think those are both really good recommendations. There will be links in the show notes to both of them. Speaking of reading, what, what are you reading now or what book do you think everyone should read?
1: Well, I earlier already mentioned weapons of math destruction. Um, that's one about ethics in AI. And it's written in a very accessible format. You don't need to know much about AI or about data science or about development or technology in general to understand what, what it is about. At the same time, you also don't really need to know the, you don't need to have much experience with ethics or social activism either to understand that. It. so it's it's written in a format that everyone can really pick it up and understand the issues with it and understand how to improve the industry a bit. So I think that's my main book that I always recommend to people to read. And the one I'm currently reading is uh, Race After Technology but I just started it so I can't really say much about it but so far I can really recommend it. It's uh, similar uh, but it handles more about the race aspect of it. And then there's also Technically Wrong, which talks about sexist apps and about also how the industry is set up in in a very discriminating way. And how how saying, for example, that you will always hire the right candidates, we're just looking at skills, we don't discriminate or we're colorblind, we will just hire the best person for the job the book does a good way, at, good way at explaining how that's not necessarily a more inclusive way of hiring because we have so many biases that when you say you will hire the best person for the job and that you will just base yourself on the coding skills or on the design skills that your own biases will still get in the way of that and that you're not necessarily hiring the best person for the job. And uh, yeah, I think those are the three main ones I would recommend at this point, but If you want an intro to ethics in AI or ethics in general or AI in general, Weapons of Math Destruction is really a good one to start with.
0: I'm going to put all three of those on my reading list, and I will put the links in the show notes as well. Great. I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So on this show, we share profits from our advertisers and sponsors with all of our guests. Are there other ways the listeners can support you?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm actually in the process of setting up uh, a Patreon, uh, because I've been doing a lot of writing lately, and I want to write more tutorials, but I also realize that there's a lot of work that goes into that, and I'm thinking of uh, making some of my tutorials paid while keeping the rest still available for the general public, and also publishing my posts uh, a week or two earlier on Patreon. So I want the majority of my work to still be accessible for everyone, but soon there will be a Patreon to support me as well because, as you said, everyone should get paid for their time.
0: And where's the best place for people to find you and to find updates when you do release your Patreon?
1: Uh, best place would either be on my blog, which is fossheim.io, or on Twitter, where I'm called Lea Trisbian And you can include the links as well. I'll send them over to you.
0: I will include them. Sarah, thanks so much for being on Bezier. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we go?
1: I just thought it was a really great experience. Thank you so much for having me. And the only thing I would like to repeat is that I think it's important in this industry that we try to make it a more inclusive and more welcoming place. And also a place where we can actually build products and systems and services that are helpful for people that lift people up rather than further oppress them. So I would like as a parting note, I want to tell people to do read up on it, do, do your work, do help minoritized groups, do try to lift people up and try to be the change that you want to see because it's so important in these days.